0: to talk about some grace. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. We're going to start out with the definition that we talked about last week, unmerited favor, as the definition of grace, said by just about every pastor ever. And we, what's that? I am recording. Yes, sir. Now that's on recording. We're going to sound awkward. Man. That's all right. Okay. We'll edit that out. Probably not. So, what do we mean when we say grace? Well, last week we talked about it as it pertains to how God gives saving grace. And if you missed that message, totally teared up unexpectedly at the end and embarrassed myself of everybody, worth a listen just for that. But it's also good because you will discover that God wants to give you grace and you can be a total crud and he still loves you and wants to give you that grace. So worth a listen, especially if you know that you are a total crud. He will encourage you and give you hope. But today, I'm going to do something that I have I've never done before. It will hopefully never happen again. Hopefully. And I have to apologize. I'm going to give a teaching that does not have a single Bible verse.
1: What?
0: What? Don't I'm it. sorry. We're talking about grace. This message had to happen, and this message is really a teaching. Okay? And is a teaching on will and grace. No, not that you're willing grace. It's historical views on grace. Let me tell you why this is valuable, and then at the end, let me tell you why it's valuable, and then at the end, I'll tell you why right now it doesn't really matter at all. But first, let me tell you why it's valuable. We have discussed a lot as a church in 2,000 years. We've gone down a lot of roads that we don't need to go down again. And when we are ignorant about church history and about the traditions of the church, and about what the great theologians of the past have thought. And I'm not saying you have to memorize what all the great theologians have thought. But if you don't have at least some sense of what roads have already been traveled, we end up stressing ourselves out and rehashing old stuff that's already been solved. And sometimes, falling into new, new, quote-unquote, heresies, that were actually deemed heresies, like, 1600 years ago. We just didn't pay attention. So there's a tendency sometimes not to know the valuable stuff from the past. This message is valuable because it will give us a sense of where the church has come from as it pertains to salvation, as it pertains to how does grace actually work when it gets you saved. What did they think? And you might be tempted to say, like some of us are, isn't that simple, but it's not. This is a whole book called The Cross and Salvation by a guy named Bruce Demarest, That I got at seminary He definitely writes from a reformed standpoint So if you are reformed, you will love Bruce And if you are not, he may grate on your nerves (laughs) But he says some really good stuff And I have said most of the really cool stuff I'm going to say today is from this book So let's all say thank you Bruce Thank Thank you Bruce Bruce. And we forgive you for being a Calvinist No, I'm sorry (laughs) Moving on, quickly Isn't it simple? Isn't this salvation experience simple? We had a moment in worship. I don't think I was the only one feeling the presence of God, feeling him and, like, moving on my heart. We have all kinds of christian ways to talk about what's happening. But it is a real God who really loves you and really wants to encounter you. And when that happens, you feel something Amen. very often. So Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. You know, I'm, I'm moving on your heart. I'm calling my sons and daughters. I think we experienced that today. Alright? And let's keep that in mind, because at the end, when I tell you why this message doesn't matter at all right now, that is going to come back to the forefront. But it is not simple. Here are some questions you may not have thought of. If man is in the image of God, why do we even need grace? He made us in his image, right? What has the fall, that's the original sin of Adam and Eve, you can read about it in Genesis, what did that do exactly? Exactly that makes grace necessary. And then, number three, with a typo that is kind of ironic, I wrote, if God is the highest and noblest, it's actually if man. If man is the highest and noblest of God's creatures, can we attain salvation without extra grace? I mean, we're the highest and the noblest. We're made in God's image. Like, we should be able to handle this, right? And when you dig into grace and salvation and free will just a little bit, it starts to get real complicated. How complicated? How many denominations are there? How long have churches been arguing about this stuff? A long time. We are going to do just the briefest of overviews. You guys ready? Yeah. Here we go. We're going to start with the man who will be our foundation, and that is Saint Augustine. Way back in the day, I think he was born in 354. He died about 430 AD. This guy thought deeply and profoundly about human will, the nature of grace. How are we saved? What did the fall of man do to us? And he came to some conclusions. According to Augustine, very briefly, Adam's sin. We all know the story of Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit. They shouldn't have done it. God told them not to. They did anyway. Augustine believed that that did something, not just to Adam and Eve, but to you, Bill, Adam, and to me, Pastor Anthony, all of us. Like a snowball falling from the top of a mountain getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it cascaded down. His sin affected all of humanity. And we are are tainted. We are guilty with that sin. And without divine assistance, it affected us so much that you might technically have a free will. Like you can pick what you want to do. You can do anything you want to do. But you've been so twisted and corrupted by the fall... That it's actually impossible for you to choose to do good, even though technically you're free to do it, you might as well not be free to do it, because you've been so corrupted by the fall and so impacted by evil. So what is God going to do to save people? According to Augustine, He gives irresistible grace to those that He chooses. So he'd say, Bill, I like you. You'd never pick me. I'm just going to give you some zapping grace. Bam! And then Bill's like, Oh my gosh, I believe. Except, you know, behind the scenes, it's God giving you grace because you'd never pick that. That's what Augustine believed. And that this is not unjust, according to Augustine, because justice would damn everybody. If everybody's guilty, and if everybody's a sinner, then, hey, at least God picks a few. So in Augustine's mind, I'm just glad he picked me, and I'm not going to question it. Thank you, God. I don't really want justice. Thank you for, for giving us at least something. So... Kind of grim, you might not like all that, but this is the person that the people we're going to talk about now interacted with. He's kind of the base. So now we begin the catchy titles of Thoughts on Grace. First, you're all right, Pelagianism. That's all right. You don't, you don't know Pelagius? Cool. Nope, you guys don't know Pelagius? Jeez! Oh, not going to seminary? Man. So... Pelagius, of course, was a British monk in the 5th century. Like, I don't care about some British monk in the 5th century with a funny name. You actually might. Because this guy believed that humans are born morally and spiritually just fine. He believed that when Adam sinned, Adam sinned. When this fall of man happened, it was really just kind of a fall of Adam and Eve. Why would I be impacted by something they did thousands of years ago? That doesn't make any sense. So he believed that people are born morally and spiritually able to do good, you have everything you need given to you by God to live a good life. In fact, you have, the only thing you really need to do is do it. He believed you had the capacity, you just needed to want to do the good thing, and then to actually do the good thing. And that if God gives us any grace at all, it's one, that ability, and two, oh well, it's cut off, that's a shame. Two, it's the example of Jesus and then the law. Because all we need is an example, right? Because everything we need is already given to us. And why would I ask God for for more grace? Like, guys, seriously, you you can do it. You can do it, man. You can live this righteous life. So he taught that people are all right. You just got to live a good life. Now, suddenly, this guy we've never heard of from way back in the 5th century seems a little more familiar. Because this view can still be found... In theological liberalism, and by accident, in a lot of Christian music, <laughs> yeah. you can do it. Go out there and get them, and you're all right, and God loves you just the way you are. And Pelagius would say, that's great. And theological liberalism, by the way, it's not quite the same as political liberalism. In theological liberalism, they don't have a lot of time for anything supernatural. We don't need that. So this heaven and hell thing, you know, eh, we don't really need that. Miracles, we don't really need that. The death and resurrection of Jesus, we don't really need that. Jesus was just a good guy who gave us a good example so that we can be good people. Alright? And there are some people who would call themselves Christians who believe this kind of thing. But, this dude was deemed a heretic in 418 A.D. That means that also, although, like, orthodoxy, correct belief, I've heard the expression, the tent is big. Well, Pelagius proved that the tent might be big, but you can, in fact, be outside of the tent. <laughs> and he got absolutely wrecked by this guy named Augustine. <laughs> they lived at the same time. and Augustine got wind of what this guy was teaching, A the very first recorded Twitter fight happened. <laughs> Pelagius just got <laughs> ruined. Just <laughs> wrecked by Augustine. So Augustine made his point. They <laughs> didn't actually have Twitter. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't mean to mislead people. Oh right? So this is no good. All right. So the belief that the fall didn't do anything to you and you're absolutely just fine and you can do it on your own without any assistance from God is not Christian. Mm. Amen. That's what was decided way back in the day. Mm. So mm-hmm. when we see this pop up, we might want to be aware of it and say, Aha, uh-huh. that's already been settled. I do, in fact, need some sort of divine assistance because I cannot save myself. Amen. Everybody said, amen. 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 Moving on to the next one. If Pelagianism is you're all right, we have you're all right-ish, which is semi-Pelagianism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little that my slides aren't the way I made them. Oh, <laughs> so you're all right-ish would be semi-Pelagianism. Is is really Catholicism. Okay, oh. this is what the Catholic Church thought for a long, long time. And a few ancient people had these kinds of views, but this was really put in writing by the Catholic Council of Trent in 1547. Why do I care about that, Pastor Anthony? Because the Council of Trent was responding to something that happened about 35 years earlier. Does anybody know? The Reformation. There was this dude named Martin Luther who had 95 good arguments against the way things were being done. And he wrote them up and he caused a big ruckus. Yeah. We are Protestants and not Catholic right now because of Martin Luther. The Catholic Church was like, whoa man, we've got to do something about these things. We need to start having some councils and hashing out our theology and get it right. The Council of Trent was one of those meetings. So in the Council of Trent, they described how salvation works. And they talked about the fall. They talked about what happened to us when Adam sinned. And they said, you know, we were affected. We were were marred somehow, right? I mean, sin has left its mark on us. But people still retain the ability to want to do good and to some small degree to actually do good. And then if God sees people trying to do the right thing, God kind of says, wow, look at you trying to do the right thing. I'm going to give you some divine assistance, some unmerited favor, if you will, but they wouldn't have said that for an important reason. I'm going to give you some grace to help you, but you can refuse that help. That grace is available to you in this view if you accept it. And also, according to this view, you can get more grace. According to the semi-Pelagians, which is kind of a nasty term, isn't it? I mean, because Pelagius was a heretic. Like, Who came up with that? Probably people that didn't like him too much. They're also called semi-Augustinians. But according to these guys, grace was something that you had to stay full of, right? So in the Catholic tradition, and I was born Catholic, but I'm not Catholic now, so if you were Catholic and I get something wrong, please correct me after service. And if it's flagrantly wrong, please correct me now. But you got grace when you got baptized. And it was a special grace. And every time you take communion, you actually get grace. Some sort of empowering from God actually happens that is given to you when you take communion, every time. But when you sin, you can lose grace. And a mortal sin will take you right out of grace. But you can get back in grace if you do a penance and you get enough grace from enough sacraments. So the grace meter is constantly moving in semi-Pelagianism or Catholicism. And I'll tell you what's interesting. I already gave away that you can find this in the Catholic Church, but you can also find it in just the common guy... Who says things like, God helps those who helps helps themselves. Right? It sneaks in there. But this is not heresy. Augustine no doubt didn't like this kind of view. But he called people who believe this way, brethren of ours. Very interesting. So, I personally don't think this is the way grace works. I mean, I don't think so. But this is inside the tent. So, I could get to heaven and the joke could be on me. So, <laughs> we don't want to be too snotty towards people that have this view, okay? Because throughout all of church history, people have had this view of grace and also been considered brothers in the faith, right? So, this doesn't put them outside the town. No. But, it does have kind of a weaker view of the fall of man. Grace is strange. You can lose it. You can get more. It's up to you. You can kind of access more of it whenever you want. It's a little kind of transactional a little bit, right? If I need some grace, I can go get it. So, you know, maybe we don't like that so much. But, you know, you're all right-ish. Semi-Pelagianism. All right. You're all right. Heresy. Pelagianism. You're all right-ish. Sure, we'll let that in. And the next one, y'all need help. This is this is Armenianism. All right? Who? All these funny names. I told you guys, it had to happen, though, in a series on grace. This message had to happen. Armenianism is named for James or Jacobus. I found both. Very strange. James Armenius, who was a reformed pastor. That means that he, he really lined up with Calvin's teachings until he made some changes. He was a reformed pastor in Amsterdam and later a professor. And he took. A very different view of what happened at the fall than the semi-Pelagians. All right? This guy believed that when Adam sinned, everybody who came after Adam and Eve, that's everyone in this room, is so absolutely and irreparably messed up beyond all belief. Not only can you not get right, you don't want to get right. You lack the desire to be better. You lack the desire to do anything good. You are a hopeless case. All right? As hopeless as like wandering zombies in the street. Like, they are never going to help you with your math homework. You know? And it's just not in the realm of possibility. They're zombies. So that was kind of the extreme view of what happened at the fall. So we needed some help. So if anybody's going to get saved, we need some assistance. He called that assistance prevenient grace. He believed that God looked down on all his people, and God said to himself, you know, I want all these people to be saved. I have to give them enough grace. I have to give them the ability to be able to respond to me. They never do it on their own, so I have to take the first step and at least give Diane Davis the ability to choose me. And that will be my, my, my exciting grace, my grace that goes before her decision. And if she chooses to accept who I am, if she takes that little bit of grace that I give her and says, wow, my eyes are open... Yes, I, I choose you, Jesus. Then I'm going to just flood her with saving grace. You know, and then you're in. So, responding to that, that little bit of prevenient grace, the ability to choose, and then actually choosing are we remembering our worship service right now? Mm-hmm. Actually saying yes unlocks saving grace, according to our meanings. Very important. This view of grace is found in most Wesleyan traditions, which would include Wesleyan churches, Methodist churches, but really, I think, by most people who are not Calvinists. If you talk to most people and you ask them how salvation works, I think that 99% of people who are not Calvinists will say, I had a funny feeling, I recognized his God, I chose to say yes, I prayed a prayer, and then I got saved. Does that seem to make sense to most of us? I feel like that's how I got saved. So... Just seems to make sense to most people, and it is not, of course, heresy. But then we have the Calvinist response. We have the Calvinists who do not like Arminianism because Arminius was a a Reformed guy. He was a Calvinist until he came up with this crazy, prevenient grace stuff. Calvinists don't like that, and this is kind of a joke, okay? I've actually... I've never heard a Calvinist, even in seminary, even in the, in the snottiest Calvinist writers, you know, I've never heard a Calvinist say Armenians are heretics, so that is a joke. But I can tell you for sure they don't like it, all right? And I think the reason they don't like it is actually ingrained in their theology, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But Calvinists view this as, it's salvation and I helped. Alright, the word is synergism. It's like, how did you get saved? It's like, well, you know, God did his part, I did my part, and voila, I got saved. Like, whoa, you had a part in your salvation? Oh, of course I did. I mean, I had to choose him after all. And like, we don't necessarily think of it that way if you're an Armenian, but Calvinists do. It's like, whoa, you're saying you saved yourself. It's like, no, I'm not. You can settle down. You're out of your mind. It's like, yes, you are. And that's where we get this. Right. <laughs> Usually, is confined to fun debates between people with way too many letters after their names who actually get a kick out of arguing about this stuff. Right? Everybody's in the tent. This is not heresy. Okay? Which brings us to the guy that <coughs> was reacting against, Mr. Calvin himself, and I'm choosing to call this I Choose You. So, you're alright, plagianism. Heresy. You're alright-ish, semi-plagianism. Yeah, that that gets by. Y'all need some help, Armenianism. You need some Frenian grace. But Calvinism is like Ash Ketchum, man. Like, yes. I choose you. Why do I say that? Well, gotta be the very best. Gotta be the very best. Like no one's ever been. Thanks for the French theologian John Calvin, who died in 1564. And this guy, hey, keep it serious, Keith. Right? Focus here. This is deep theology we're doing. Calvin believed that all people are absolutely irreparably messed up beyond all belief and lack even the the desire to get right with God, which should seem familiar, because this is the same thing Arminius believed. The difference is that Calvin believed in two different types of grace, and this is so important. He believed in common grace and special grace. Do you know what common grace is? Common grace is any good thing in the world. So, according to Calvin, if there's anything in life that you enjoy, if anything is beautiful, if you like the sunrise, if that rain (coughs) just makes your heart sing, or if you're enjoying that ginger tea with a mint leaf, that is the grace of God. If it wasn't for that kind of grace that kind of just is in our world, everything would be hell. But that's not saving grace. Saving grace, he called special grace or effective grace because it is not resistible. In Calvinism, in Calvinism, you would never choose God. So God, in his sovereignty, chooses people to be saved. I have I've heard it taught that I couldn't believe this when I was hearing it. I was like, that's got to be heresy. It's got to be heresy. That They're like, well, it's possible that because you would never choose God, God actually regenerates your heart and mind before you make your commitment to God. And I'm like, that does no way, no way, because my free will, man, will and grace. You know, I got to be able to choose. Calvinists actually, when you when you press them, there are variations of this, but they do not believe that you choose God. They believe that God gives you the effective grace that cannot be resisted, that you will inevitably choose Him. You have to. Why? Why do you have to? If God gives you that grace, I'm seeing some head shakes like this, but I'm also seeing some faces that are like. You watch your stuff, because that's the way it works. <laughs> so, I had a professor, Dr. Duff. He was Calvinist. He was a tall dude. He was skinny. And he, and I've, I've heard a lot of Armenian teachings, right? Because there's a lot of gifts in the Bible. If you do this, if you decide, if you follow me. He gets up to the podium, and he just starts reading scriptures. He read, like, 25 scriptures. It took him a long time. And we're like, what is your point? All about how, like, you know, I'm the I'm Lord, I hold the king's heart in my hand And I direct it like water You know, I'm the Lord, I decree things And what I decree is going to happen You know, blah, blah, blah Verse after verse after verse Showing that God is sovereign He's the king, he's the boss, he's in charge And what he decides to get done Gets done And no one can stand in his way And no one can change his mind And his will will prevail And then Dr. Duff closed his Bible And he did not expound on that that was just kind of him saying would anyone like to argue with the 75,000 verses I just read about God's sovereignty and you know shockingly, the room was quiet even though it was a room full of probably Armenian people so according to a Calvinist who's who's a, a high Calvinist to say that God gives you grace and that you can shut that down is disgusting that's like saying that you can slap God in the face like that's that's like saying that you are more superior than God because God wanted something and you said no. Do you think you're God's boss? Who do you think you are? If God wants you, he gets you. I'm actually just gonna let that hang there. But this is why they take such an affront to an Armenian who says, Oh, I chose God. And I'm like, oh, I know you didn't. You know, so we need to give the Calvinists grace to him if you're not a Calvinist. And if you are a Calvinist, you've almost got me. I'll let you know. <laughs> Alright. So, this view is held today in the Calvinist and Reformed traditions. All right. Next slide, please. Clicker. Come on. You might <laughs> say that's not fair. <laughs> I, love this slide. So I want to be just... Oh, man, my letters are messed up. we got to figure out what happened. That's all right. So, I wanted to say one last thing. The reason Arminius came up with provenient grace was God's justice. He was like, it just doesn't seem fair that God would hold us accountable for stuff that we were destined to do. This debate continues. Do you guys want to know what I think? Sure. Sure. Excellent. Here we go. I'm going to give you three (coughs) points. Thank you for hanging with me. I'm sorry this has been a little bit dry. I hope it's also been fun. You know, am I going to say I'm a Pelagian or an Armenian or a Calvinist? I'm not, but I am going to tell you right now what I absolutely think about the way salvation works and the fall of man. Here we go. One, we are corrupted and guilty. And cannot save ourselves. Amen. I do believe that the Bible teaches that our natures have been corrupted. You might be able to want to do good, you know, but dude, we are selfish, nasty, fallen creatures. Mm-hmm. Ravi Zacharias says that this is actually one of the, the only empirical truths of the Bible. Like, you can test this. Like, look at all people. Like, <laughs> we suck, kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and yet people resist this idea that in the base of what we are, we're corrupted. And I believe that the Bible also teaches that in some measure we are guilty. All right? That's not good, but I believe that that's what the Scriptures say. Two, when God reveals himself, we can respond favorably or not. Amen. I'm sidestepping the word grace because I don't want to get involved in that argument. Jesus came. Who was, who was Jesus again? God. He was God. Thank you. He met people. Actually, interacted with them. And some responded favorably and some did not. The Bible says that the Spirit is the Lord. I believe that when He stands at the door and knocks to our hearts as the Holy Spirit, we can accept Him or reject Him as certainly as we could if He was here in person. It's just what I believe. If you have a great argument for me to change my mind, I'm open to that. But number three, I don't believe that we play a role in or receive any credit for our salvation at all. And I'll tell you, I think this works if you are an Armenian or a semi-Pelagian or a Calvinist. Like, oh, that's cheating. You can't say that. I can. If you're a Calvinist, obviously this is the way it is, right? Because you believe that God just chooses people, gives them the grace, zaps them, gets them saved, and then preserves them, you know, and guarantees that they're going to be in the kingdom. And if you're a semi-Pelagian, you are a semi pelagian well, let's go with Armenianism. You believe that God gave you the grace and then you actually make the choice. Well, praise God, He gave you the grace to be able to make the choice. Mm-hmm. Do you get credit for God giving you the ability to say yes? No way. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all God all the way. Even if you're a Catholic and you believe that the grace meter goes up and down, right? And that I'm low on grace and I've got to say a few Hail Marys and go and, you know, and take the sacraments. Is that on you? No! Praise God that he gave you a means to stay full of his grace. At the end of the road of your salvation, at the bottom line, is always God and none of us. He gets all the credit. Now, why does none of that matter? (laughs) I hope you've been waiting to hear this. Thank you, God, for an amazing worship set. You know, if it was you and you were sitting in your chair, and you felt that pressure in your heart, and you knew it was the Lord, and you knew he was asking you to respond, none of these words and theories over the last 1,600 years matter. Because when the rubber meets the road, the experience is the same. He's standing at the door, and he's knocking. Well, is he knocking because I've been given prevenient grace? or doesn't matter. In that moment of decision, what is necessary is not more theology. What is necessary is a decision. Yeah. A decision. And I would like to invite everybody here to respond and make a decision. Because that's what really matters. Does that sound good? Amen. We're going to go old school. I don't know if i have ever done this. Let's do every head bowed and every eye closed. Have I ever said those words? I think this is the first. Put them down, people. I'm just going to pray. Father God, Lord, We don't want to be confused by words and theories. We want to know you by any means necessary. Lord, I pray that you would move on hearts tonight. That you would give people the assurance that you are a good father that loves them, that wants a relationship with them, that wants to save them, that is able and has already paid the price for their sins, and you were able to forgive them, Lord God. I pray that you would impress on hearts right now the reality that who they were when they came in the door does not have to be the person that they are when they leave, yeah. Lord God. I pray that you would give hope to the people in these seats, Lord Jesus, that they would realize that the promise is that they would be a new creation when they accept you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that their whole eternity opens up that you would smile and look at them with favor and call them a son or a daughter, if only they would say yes. yes. Jesus, I ask you to knock on their hearts. Yes. And if that's you, and if you have said yes, I'm not going to ask Yes, I am I'm going to ask you. To raise your hand. Could I raise your hand right now if you are making a commitment to the Lord. If you are answering that call, I see one. I see two. Yeah. You know what? Now I'm closing my eyes too. Here's your chance to put them up and nobody will see. Five, four, three, two, one. I have no idea. I didn't look. I'm telling you the truth. But here's what I want you to do. We have a prayer team. I think it's also a Ramonite. If it's not, we're going to get people to pray and prophesy over you. Come to the front. Get prayer. Even if you're already saved and you felt like the Lord was saying, say yes to me. Come up here and say yes be filled with the Holy Spirit and be encouraged by some more of His people. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please trust in the close. Dang. That was sick. I already came up with two ways to ruin your message and three ways to make it more complicated. <laughs> I'm setting and off the recording in three, two, one.